following program is brought to you in living color. This is the time of the year when some of us like to enjoy the odd glass of wine. What's the best bottle of wine in the whole place? Nori wants us to finish this bottle and then three more. Well, to the wine cellar. Friendship is the wine of life. The longer we keep it, the stronger and sweeter it grows. It's The Wine Crush, the show that's all about the grape. Now, here's the host, the woman whose glass will be empty before yours, Laura Lawson. Why is it people who can't take advice always insist on giving it? Welcome to The Wine Crush. I'm Laura Lawson, your favorite Chardonnay-guzzling diva, and you are listening to the show that's all about the grape and all its glory, all the vine, all the time, everything you ever wanted to know about wine and were afraid to ask. That's what we are here for. We are your media resource for our coming into its own happy popping off the vine little grape. And uh, yes. Popping off the vine? Uh, we don't do, pick them anymore? They pop off the vine? Well, I don't know. Maybe they're just very excited little grapes. I think I, you I, might be right. I don't know. I'm just... I, you're, just I, trying, you're trying to find adjectives. I understand. There's only so many ways you can describe grapes trying to grow on a vine. And to be honest with you... I'm just feeling my age today. If you if you like, I will write you some new ones. That would be would lovely. You like that? Okay. I would. Now that you have I'll this sense of clarity it. about you, you are more than welcome to do Here that. They are exploding. <laughs> you know, once you come up with some kind of I'll liners, you got buttons and stuff back I there. I got all kinds of stuff back here. But yes, I am just. There, there are certain days where gravity is just harder on you than other days. I know I, what I'm, you mean. No, I am convinced of that, that there are certain days of the year where gravity's pull, whether it increases a micro, whether it increases, I don't know, several PSIs, today is one of those days. Do you, do you feel it like in your head? I feel that's that's where I feel it. Gravity's pull sometimes just makes me feel like it's pulling my face down. <laughs> and no, it that's is. usually the frown when I come in the studio. That's it. That's it. <laughs> No, I think this weekend has a lot to do with it. It also has a lot to do with the theme of today's show. Uh, We do have a great guest with us, one of my oldest, closest, dearest friends, and most importantly, a friend who's older than I am, Mr. Pete Perry. He is uh, president of Donna Estates. He is joining us today. But uh, this weekend, there is a group that gets together occasionally from out the southeast, and it celebrates a number of anniversaries. And one of the things we were celebrating, it just came up that the party theme was bring a bottle of your vintage. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of that is you bring a bottle from your vintage birth year. Oh. Yes. <laughs> you want to tell us? <laughs> anyway. I always kind of wondered this myself. Yes. Needless to say, uh, I, I I resort to a bottle of port every uh, time I have to go to one of these it, parties. That's right. It's just easier that way. Plus, those wines don't hold that well anymore. Keeps you from lying. At least, hey, that hey, the ones I could afford, I wouldn't want to begin with. wasn't a great year. But secondly, even if I could, definitely not going to open it with these yahoos. So, anyway, <laughs> I, who we hope don't listen to the show. Yeah, uh, well, if they do, they already know they're in trouble. It's yes. fine. So the whole thing, you bring your bat. You, and this is a great idea for those of you who have a wealth of friends who are into wine and, and collect vintages. The whole point is you bring your bottles in, you bring them in in a brown bag, and you set them on a sideboard, you set them on a table. And, of course, obviously they're going to be great, exciting wines, but also you try and pair the wine to the person. Hmm. So I, unfortunately, as usual, lately have was running late to the party. I was one of the last people there. And I'm looking all along the sideboard. And I'm seeing vintages of 90, 91, 92. Oh. And, and mentally, I'm doing the math. I'm like, are you even legal to be here? Mm. And I'm thinking, I remember selling those wines. Hell, I remember harvesting some of those wines. Yeah. And so I kind of look around and thank God there were two other people. But there was my bottle, two that were older than mine, and the rest came from the late 80s, early 90s. Really? And, and it was just, it really, it really stuck home with me. Yeah. So you were the oldest vintage in the room. I was the oldest vintage in the room. And uh, it, you go through something like that. And then couple with the fact that recently there was also a, the next night, there was a group touring. And I'll just go ahead and spit it out. It was Dave Mason and the Doobie Brothers. Yes. And I, I, I grew and, up. And you know all the songs by heart. I right? do. And yeah. I love them. And so between the vintage party and turning around and looking at the crowd at the Doobie Brothers, I'm like, Jesus, when did I get this old? <laughs> so it started the whole concept for today's show. There is a point to this is in conjunction with this, we've referenced it in a couple shows. It is the 40th anniversary of the Paris tasting. 
that California literally exploded, there you go, onto the scene as far as wine world and actually got our chaps, so to speak. So it made me stop and realize that, again, so much has changed in this business. And so that's what Pete and I are going to talk about today is the differences that we have seen and the changes and how that relates to everyone else out there that are not grandmother status like I am is the fact that in such a little amount of time and small, minuscule snippets of time, when you start talking about 13 centuries of the Frescobaldis in Italy running their estates and running the vineyards that they have, how much things have changed. So that's what we're going to focus on today, the differences back and forth. And, of course, you're going to help me get over my trauma of the vintage party. I'll do my best, but <clears throat> anything that I throw at you, it's it's like I'm rubber and you're glue, whatever you, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's I'm much older than you. I, I don't know if people know that or not because I seem so much younger, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I I am. Uh, I would be a very old vintage. Matter of fact, I'd be considered a classic at this point. Yeah, good luck with that. Classic vintage. All right, but as long as we're talking about old age, um, so it, it, of course, automatically, the conversation of the night around this party, again, the vintage party, went to old people. And granted, all the young whippersnappers, uh, they tend to have a like-minded tongue, as I do. And so it got really sarcastic toward the end of the night. And, of course, now everyone has Google machines in their hand. But they were discussing the fact that they weren't really interested, in my opinion, on the 92, since I had lived through it, picked it, harvested it, and everything else. Because, after all, being an old person, my taste was deteriorating. And, of course, this just drove me insane to the point where I had to do some research on it. And I've got bad news for us out there. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. As you get older, it has been physiologically proven that, truthfully, you can't drink and taste wine like you used to. Now, really? obviously, you can consume it. I mean, the, hell, some people that are much older than me can drink me under the table. That's not necessarily the factor. But it's discerning different flavors and different sensations and different tastes in it. And there's a number of reasons why. But, again, let me go ahead. I will start and end this whole dialogue with this if you practice if you take care of yourself and you continue to drink wine day in and day out and stay active with it you may not lose your abilities but if you walk away from wine for a time then try and walk back you are definitely going to have now now are you saying are you saying this because you know this are you saying this because this is what you feel no, I know this for a fact. What Obviously, is a scientific, I, yeah, scientific fact. fact? I have done some research on it. And it's funny, a part of this too, I know there are a number of you from the questions and the emails and the comments I get as your, you know, your, your palate changes as you get older. We've all discussed that. And when I'm saying I'm not physiologically your palate, but what you have a taste for, what you like, what you dislike, because you have a broader depth of experience. But there is some suggestion that part of that might be because of Seriously, the changes in your body. All right, you start out essentially with close to 10,000 taste buds. And as you get older, those can be damaged and they do disappear. It's kind of like brain brain cells. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily regenerate. But here's the kicker, and I remind all of my wine friends of this and remind you of this. 80% of what you smell off wine, what you taste off wine, of what you put together as in your mouth, the whole taste of wine comes from your sense of smell Hmm. and believe it or not the sense of smell is extraordinarily fragile not many people think that you know you walk by a dumpster you smell something pungent you you don't really think about what a delicate sense but it truly is one of your most delicate senses Hmm. Um, first ultimately 30 percent of the people 65 and over have problems with their sense of smell that's a proven fact. 30% when you hit 65, you don't have the same uh, cognitive abilities that you did when you were younger But are you pretty sharp till then? <laughs> Aren't you funny? Do what? <laughs> no, are you pretty sharp till then? Like, do you, do, you, do you peak at some point? Is there an age at which you peak? I didn't see that. I didn't see okay. that anywhere. Logic would dictate yes. Um, but part of it they're attributing to is pollution. Here, here, hey, we'll get even with the millennials. <laughs> yeah all the true. way around we'll get even but they're saying a big proponent of that is pollution and atmospheric changes 
and they can argue all the politics they want to. But if you're going to live in a city, if you're living in a more populated area where there's more smog, where there is truly more damaging free radicals around, your sense of smell is going to get damaged. So technically, New York City is not a good place to have a glass of wine. It's not to be a wine connoisseur. It's it's a great place to be because there's so many options. But if you're going to live there your whole life, expect the fact that your sense of smell will get damaged. Secondly, uh, one of the things that can truly damage your sense of smell, and this was interesting, sinus and ear infections. Yes. And obviously, as you get older, you're going to have more sinus infections. You have more ear infections. And that actually limits and hurts your olfactory no- nerve, which is what helps you gather those smells and aromas and puts them together. So the more sinus infections you have, the more damage to your sense of smell. Uh, also, as silly as this sounds, getting off the nose when it comes to actually tasting, obviously your taste buds deteriorate literally as you get older, but saliva is a big part of how you taste things. Mm -hmm. If you have a really dry mouth, you don't taste as well. Saliva can be a conductor. Two things, as you get older, if you start taking medications, then that chemical is produced within your saliva. So whatever medications you may be on can actually affect your sense of taste. That I have heard. Yeah. Well, think about this. Um, I think everyone out there at some point has had an infection where they had to take amoxicillin or some kind Mm -hmm. of antibiotic. And all you have to do is be taking that antibiotic, pick up a glass of Chardonnay, and you'll get that really metallic flavor in your mouth. Yes. A good portion of that comes from the chemical being in your saliva. And that's why you have that taste. And as you get older, you take more and more medications. As you get older, you take more and more medications. And the bulk of things on the market, obviously, chemically are going to change that balance. Also, it seems, and I I didn't really follow this at first, but now it makes sense. If you think about, say, when you have the sinus infection and you take Sudafed or take some kind of antihistamine, it dries you out. And so if you have dry mouth syndrome or you don't produce as much saliva as you used to, again, you're going to taste things differently. Now, of course, you can attest to this as well. Uh, Another of the big pieces of affecting your sense of smell is a knock on the head. And again, the older you get, and (laughs) since we all came from this generation where we never wore helmets or anything like that, it is said that any kind of knock in the head can actually affect your sense of smell. In fact, whether this is truth, rumor, urban legend, uh, Robert Parker Jr. apparently was out on a bike ride and got knocked off and took a really bad blow to his head. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he did was run home, open up a bottle of wine to make sure he still had his sense of smell. I'll tell this really quickly. Long ago, I dated a girl named Henrietta. Henrietta had fallen off a horse at an early age. And as a result of the injury, she had no sense of taste or smell. Well, obviously she had no sense of taste. She just dated you. (laughs) All right. We're going to wrap all this up right now. We got to take a quick break for commercial announcements. When we come back, we'll explain what this has to do and where we're going with this today. For pictures, videos, show recaps, and more, become a fan of Wine Crush Radio Group on Facebook. Do you owe back taxes to the IRS? Newsflash, the president has changed the tax laws. And now you may be able to pay the IRS less. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, the tax doctor can help you pay the IRS as little as possible allowed by law. There are new tax laws for business owners, the self-employed, even W-2 workers. If you have a back tax problem or a few years of unfilled returns, new help to save you money is now here. Call right now to see how the new tax Tax laws can help you. Plus, right now, we'll waive the consultation fee and give you a free tax savings report. Attention business owners, the self-employed, and W-2 workers. Make this free call to the tax doctor now and learn how to take advantage of the new tax laws that may help you pay the IRS less. 800-281-7048. 800-281-7048. That's 800-281-7048. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents 
patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-542-6751. This is the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space. Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Ranger Station, Ranger Speed. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location? Uh, in the woods, just outside of town. Oh, not surprising. You've got your home. Bears have theirs. Yeah, but see, this wasn't just any bear. This bear was wearing jeans and a hat, as in a smoky bear. Jeans and a hat. That's definitely smoky. What exactly did he have to say? Well, we were about to head home, you know, after having a bonfire. Oh, I can guess where this is going. Right, right. See, Smokey told me the fire wasn't actually out. He said if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. That's true. Did you know that 9 out of 10 wildfires fires are caused by humans? That means 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Wow, no kidding? I'm a forest ranger. We never kid. Sorry. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference because 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. Brought to you by Smoky Bear, the US Forest Service, your state forester and the Ad Council. Learn more at smokybear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. We missed you. Now it's more of the Wine Crush with Laura Lawson. I'm Laura Lawson. This is the Wine Crush. And hopefully all of our older generation people haven't abandoned me yet. And all the younger ones aren't making fun of it yet. But yes, ultimately, as we look back on the wine business, as you get older... Your senses do change. All right, to go over it again, before the break, we had covered that 30% of the people have problems with their sense of smell. It comes from sinus infection, ear infections, medication, saliva, knock of the head. But there's hope. There is, there is? hope. Oh, yes. good. Okay. Because older people, obviously, again, let's see previous comment about the breadth and depth of experience they have. When you're actually sitting and analyzing a wine and you're taking the aromas in and you're fulfilling the bouquets and you're trying to identify what is in that glass, obviously the older you are, the more experience you've had with various smells. So because of that, you can refine that glass down further than younger people who don't have that sense of experience. So yes, there is some saying that with age comes wisdom, with wisdom becomes, you know, a a good way to judge your wine. Now, of course, um, conversely, as you get older, you do tend to have memory problems. So you can be that person that I am. Oh, what is that? What that 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 mm. that note? What? Oh, wait, that's um. What's the name of that plant? You know, the white yeah. one, green leaves. So whereas, I don't have those, <laughs> but you you know them well. Yes. So, so uh, whereas we might exactly know the smell, it doesn't mean we can come up with what it's supposed to be. So in a nutshell, that's where we are with as far as getting older and how it relates to wine. Granted, we have the experience of great vintages. Granted, we have the worldwide breadth, but. We have to stay on top of it. And again, just like anything else, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So, my friends, stay thirsty. What, why is this uh, so important to you today? Are you feeling old? Are you feeling used up? I'm not is there feel- some depression hanging over? A black cloud, perhaps? <laughs> I am not feeling used up, and no, there is not a black cloud. But it, you know, it's amazing. We have come so far, and I look... 
I look at what's been accomplished in my years of the wine business. I look in just, you know, the past 50 years and what has been achieved. But it, you, you look at it from a broad scope and it's amazing and it's great and it's wonderful. And then you start reading about new and different things and think, okay, great, what's next? And realize that this is moving so fast that uh, that so many changes and so many great things are coming. What could possibly be next? And you realize that it's just a blip, what you know and what you've experienced. Yeah. yeah I mean, here, here's a great example. They were just going over the fact um, they just gave the master sommelier exam and they also just gave wine educators exam and kind of looking over the questions, looking over things involved. If tomorrow I had to go and sit for the wine educator exam again, or if tomorrow I had to go sit for the advanced sommelier exam, because simply I, I wouldn't have forgotten what I had already learned about wine. That's always going to be with me. But whether you start factoring in China, Yugoslavia, Mexico, all the new AVAs in California, all the new AVAs in Oregon, all the new AVAs in Washington, literally, I, I, I think they use this reference in tech. And I'm sure there's some IT guys out there or some tech guys that can totally, totally correct me because I'm wrong. Um, they say that the capacity of a microprocessor doubles every six months while it halves in size. And I think we're getting to a point of critical weight in the wine world where so much is out there, so much is available, and so much is capable of being talked about that it's going to get to a point where to relearn and to hold on to all that knowledge, it's not just going to be a hobbyist. It's not going to be something that you do on your own. It's going to have to be a full-time educational pursuit. I'm not saying that it's not for certain people now, but ultimately, there's such a wealth of information out there that you just can't get a handle on it. But wine is, has been, always will be. Wine is wine. Why would so much change? I think it goes back to communication. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, from the get-go, I think on the very first show we ever did on the Wine Crush, we talked about the fact that there are grapes grown in all 50 states, that every country around the world, every continent around the world grows grapes, with the exception of Antarctica. And what has happened is whereas wine has always been produced since B.C., now it's coming to light what's being produced and people are seeking these out. So as they seek it out and it becomes discovered, it's not just sitting in this dusty old tome sitting on a bookshelf. It is out there on the Internet for everyone to find. I'm going to point this out. It'll be a good springboard for getting Pete on the show. When I started learning wine, I had to go and buy the books to actually learn and memorize the books just think of where you would be now if you had to do that. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Mr. Pete Perry will be joining us to discuss how much wine has changed and what we see coming in the business. Hey, travelers. Do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call. Because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first class tickets. 800-989-0233. 800-989-0233. 800-989-0233. That's 800-989-0233. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, 
I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I grow up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. My student loan is totally paid off. I can't believe it. I can't believe it either. I paid more than the minimum each month, and soon enough, it was gone. So you're just giving up? Giving up on what? The life of luxury. Egyptian cotton, caviar Thursdays, designer everything. What are you talking about? Our plan. What happened to winning the lottery and mastering the art of the perfect mimosa? Hosting galas, wearing enough jewelry to require a bodyguard, vacationing in the French Riviera, and then buying it. I just thought maybe it was time to prepare for my future. You know, set some financial goals, make some smart investments, open a 401k. Financial goals? Investments? A 401k? You are horrifying right now. Listen, if winning the lottery were easy, everyone would do it. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council on the next episode of Recipes for Disaster. So we've got our neighbor Paul coming over tonight for a barbecue, which is why I prepared a delicious lemon rosemary steak marinade for my special collection of old family recipes. To make sure the steaks are extra, extra, extra tender, I left them marinating out on the counter overnight, just like Nana used to. Maria may mean well, but without food safety, it never ends well. Always thaw or marinate foods in the refrigerator at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. Or you could make your friends and family really sick. Maria's neighbor Paul didn't think twice about the steak he ate until he was presenting his company's financial forecast to the board. That's when a sudden bout of food poisoning made it explicitly clear that profits weren't the only thing on the rise. Watch Recipes for Disaster at foodsafety.gov. You'll learn the right steps as Maria does everything wrong. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Here we are again. It's the Wine Crush with Laura Lawson. This is the Crush. I'm Laura Lawson. And Kent, before I introduce Pete, did you yes. find the Doobie Brothers just for Minas? I did. All right. See, you just felt like torturing me. <laughs> just to kind of uh, stick the needle in. Thank a you. Bit. All right. So at least that means without Kent, I'm going to have a friendly person joining me. Uh, one of the legends in the business himself. This is Mr. Pete Perry. He is president of Donna Estates. Pete, welcome back to the Wine Crush. Hi, Laura. It is nice to have a voice of reason on the show today. That, and as uh, you will catch the opening of the show at some point, I get to talk to someone who's older than me. So that makes me feel good today. I am decidedly in that category. (laughs) Uh, Our listeners are all on top of this and aware of this. Uh, I had to do a vintage party this weekend where you bring wine from your vintage, and it has just left me rattled. And, of course, you and I today looking at a platform of how much we have seen in this business in the past X amount of years and all the changes I think it's just going to be very entertaining to talk about. But before I go down that road, why don't you remind our listeners who you are, what Donna Estates is, and uh, what justifies you speaking on that platform of wisdom? (laughs) Well, I don't know if anything justifies me to speak on on the platform of wisdom, but I'm the general manager of Donna Estates, which makes a small amount of single vineyard wines from three different uh, very distinctive vineyards in, in Napa Valley. And over the past six or seven years, slowly but surely, the winery has gained a, uh, the reputation of making some of Napa's most distinctive and collectible Cabernet. Uh, one of the uh, new additions to the cult category, if I may. Well, you may, uh, if, depending on how one defines cult, but certainly if, you, if it's a, in the context of demand exceeding supply, then certainly we would qualify. I think that's a fair assessment. But, you know, that term right there, I know before you and I just dive right into it, uh, I was trying to think what cult wines, that that word, what, 1988, 1990 is when we started seeing wines classified as cult? Yeah. And since then, yeah, it's probably. it's amazing to see what the connotation is. Back then, you definitely knew what four wines fell in that cult category. Now it's something that's just bandied about, if anything's over $200 a bottle, it seems. 
You know, back in the day, um, I think one of the first decidedly so-called cult wines was Grace Family Vineyards. And I was meeting with Dick Grace not too long ago, and he reminded me, I think when he released his first vintage, I think it went for the ungodly price of $25 a bottle. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I think when Harlan re- released their first vintage, I think it sold for $50 a bottle, which was an astronomical price back then. But needless to say, the prices of wines like that have grown more than exponentially over the last 20 years. Oh, $50 a bottle was scandalous. You know, Chateau Montalino was never seen as a cult wine. You know, we were talking the Paris, uh, the Judgment of Paris. But I remember you do futures on that wine at $50 a bottle. And I thought, God, we're never going to be able to sell this wine. And, of yeah, course, everybody yeah. just snapped it up overnight. Right. All right. So, well, the, no, yeah, go ahead. Um, looking back, you're a great person for us to talk about the changes in the industry because in your career, if I remember correctly, it spans um, some of the bulk wine players all the way now to literally the top of the pyramid and what you're doing at Donna. So you have definitely seen it all in your tenure in the business. Now, we look back yeah. on stretches like that. We look back on spans like that. What is something that stands out to you that has changed most drastically in your career? Just the choices of wine that we as consumers have in the United States. You know, I first got into the business as a wine buyer in the mid-1980s for a hotel property in San Francisco. And back then, if you, if you went into a nice restaurant um, that had a decent wine list, you had choices of wines from California, Napa and Sonoma, mostly Napa, and France. And France was Bordeaux and Burgundy. And that was pretty much it. You know, in, in most wine lists, uh, the, you wouldn't see anything beyond that. If, if you went into an Italian restaurant, certainly you saw Italian wines. But outside of that, it was California and France. And there was, at that time, no Australia, no New Zealand, no, no. Spain, no Austria, no Greece. Uh, German wine, if you saw it at all, was Blue Nun. Uh, and so, you know, the, there's been so many changes in, in terms of you know, just the sheer number of wines that are available, but not just the sheer number of wines, but the amount of technically sound, very, very well-made wine that's available to us all now. It really is sort of an embarrassment of riches from a consumer's point of view. And I can see why the group that's out there now just gets so confusing. I mean, you start in this business, yeah. you had Matus, Lancers, Black Tower, Blue Nun, uh, Reuniti, can't forget Reuniti. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, God, it was scandalous because you were having the advent of wine coolers. And what, right. you know, what, what is this doing to the wine business? And then you turn and go down to a mega mart today, and, and it's just overwhelming to see the selection. Well, that's an interesting, interesting point you made about wine coolers. If I'm not mistaken, um, at the same time the fine wine business started to establish itself and, and slowly but surely take off, there was Bartles and James uh, um, uh, commercials all over the medium. Uh, and, and they were very, very popular for, for a relatively short period of time. So you had two different trends kind of developing simultaneously, but ultimately, you know, one trend sort of decidedly won out. Well, it did, but it didn't. And I, I did have this chance recently. I think everyone forgets, but you went from Bartles and James into the White Zinfandel craze. And when you look at White Zinfandel, people say, oh, my God, White Zinfandel set the, the whole wine world back. And those are the people I just want to slap. Were it not for White Zinfandel, I don't think we would be where we are now, simply because people trying to expand and plant and see something. And White Zinfandel, to me, brought wine mainstream or back to the mainstream totally here in the United States. And people forget that White Zinfandel came about because the kind people at Trinquero were just trying to get a Zinfandel to unstick. Right, right. Well, it's played a huge role. I, I'm going to date myself again, but I remember as a buyer at one property, um, we were opening a hotel, uh, and um, people were asking if we would pour white Zinfandel by the glass. And me and my haughty response said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're too good for white Zinfandel. If somebody wants a, something like that, we'll pour Sauvignon Blanc. I, I don't know in hindsight <laughs> what the hell I was thinking, because that made no sense at all. So people would continue to come in and ask for white Zinfandel. And finally, I realized, what's wrong with that? You know, as long as people are drinking wine, um, I'm in favor of it. And to this day, even though I work for a winery that makes a limited amount of very, very expensive wines, I'm cognizant of the fact that, that the wines that we make reach an you know, infinitely tiny segment of the wine-consuming public. And the wines that have really built our industry are not wines like Donna Estates, to be perfectly honest, but wines like White Sinvendel, to your point. And anybody who's making very sound, technically solid wines at an affordable price that bring people to the party. Without those wines and that style, we would decidedly not be where we are today. I think you're spot on. 
I, I think, too, that is, um, to me, that's the biggest change I have seen. Now, granted, I'm biased sitting in this chair for the last six years. You know, the goal is to get wine into mainstream. I don't think once the, two, the tsunami that came out of White Zinfandel would have ever stopped. I don't think we could have held that back. But had we not gotten rid of, and I'm not putting you on the spot, I was just as bad, the archaic sommelier mentality that mm-hmm. we are going to go out and you're going to understand Burgundy, and if you can't pronounce it, you're not good enough to drink it. Had we not taken a sledgehammer to that mentality that wine was for the privileged, wine was for the elite, that wine was only for the sophisticate group over 55 at the country club, then I think we would have been in a lot of trouble well. And you look at it, I think the Internet has done more for the wine business, unfortunately, than you and I combined. Yes or no? Uh, probably true. <laughs> probably. Not, probably true, but let's not understand the, the pivotal role that people in the streets have played in building a wine culture in the United States. The Internet makes a lot of wine available and provides a lot of information, but wine remains a very, very subjective and personal thing. So I can describe a wine to you, or I can talk about it over the Internet, but until you have a chance to sit down with someone and have a glass of that wine, it's only going to resonate when it's in the glass. It's only going to resonate when someone comes to you and explains to you why he or she thinks this wine is compelling. And there's a lot to be said for people that that are still working in in the industry on the streets, uh, introducing wines to the the gatekeepers, the sommeliers, the wine directors, the uh, club buyers, the retailers. Without those people... Um, it's just a bunch of stuff posted on the internet, and I don't think it has quite the same significance. Well, it's fair. It's fair to look at. Hey, Pete, we got to take a quick break right here. I do want to pick back up on this train of thought when we come back after these few announcements. Follow host Laura Lawson on Twitter at Wine Crush Radio. This is the Wine Crush. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5735. That's 1-800-829-5735. Again, 1-800-829-5735. Do you use the expensive blue or yellow pills to charge your sex life? Are you thinking about it? What if we could promise you the same results for less than $3 a pill? If you're paying $20 a pill for the other pills, you're getting taken to the cleaners. Call On Call Pharmacy right now and save as much as $700. 800-884-7919. On Call Pharmacy delivers the exact same results for less than $3. You'll save more than $16 a pill for the same results. And right now, radio callers will get 44 blue or yellow pills for 120 bucks with free discreet shipping. You can save more than $700 off pharmacy prices. Call On Call Pharmacy now and take advantage of this special offer. 800-884-7919. Charge your sex life now and save a ton of money. Call now and get your 44 pills and save over $700 and qualify for free shipping. Stop overpaying and call right now. 800-884-7919. 800-884-7919. 800-884-7919. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, gray, gray, black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. 
Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States and the Ad Council. We continue with another exciting episode of The Wine Crush with Laura Lawson. I'm Laura Lawson. This is The Wine Crush. Right now, we are having an entertaining discussion about how the wine business has changed in the last 40 years and what we can expect. And I have a wonderful guest to do that with. He is Pete Perry, the general manager of Donna Estates. All right, Pete, before the break, we had talked about changes we're seeing in the industry and changes we're seeing in the business and how wine is now commonplace. Um here's the next thing all right so we know where we've been you and i have seen the changes that we have there's some pretty dramatic changes happening right now in the wine world that are going to affect the group that's going to be around having to deal with this in 20 years you know you and i have seen the peaks and valleys the experts in the business have seen the peaks and valleys of the expanding and contracting of what is the family winery let's go ahead and focus strictly on the united states but you look in the last six months, hell, almost the last six weeks, Patson Hall, Farniente, Pinner, Ash, uh, The Prisoner. Uh, we'll go ahead and throw Araujo in, even though it's final. You know, all these great family iconic wineries that have been sold off. When you look at things like that, Pete, are they crazy by saying that we're not going to be able to have wine dynasties in California and that we're just going to be a flash in the pan. Are we not seeing enough commitment to wine that we're going to have things, let's say, like the Mondavis who are going into their third generation in it? Is that going to affect what's coming up, and do you see an impact of that? I don't know if I can answer that very effectively, but I can I can sort of tell you how I feel emotionally about it. Um, I, you know, I, I think ultimately – there's always going to be a place in California, Napa Valley in particular, for great wine. Um, the, the soils and the climate are, are, are so great, and the potential for making world-class wine hopefully will be here for generations to come. Now, who makes that? And, and, and whether it's, a, it's a, a, a situation where a family stays in ownership for generation upon generation upon generation, well, that's a that's a decidedly different question, and I think what Napa is facing right now, seriously, is the question of succession uh, from one generation to the next, and and um, and I think that's a serious issue. Um, the properties that you spoke of, the fact that properties are sold doesn't necessarily mean, in and of itself, the commitment to making fine wine changes. Yes, it gets decidedly more problematic. There are issues that that enter into play, and, and one could argue that the new owners don't have the same commitment or the same tie to the property as the, as the families that establish those brands. But I am not convinced that, that, that great wine can't continue to be made in subsequent generations. Um, um, partly that's just the optimist in me, and partly I think that the soils are too great and the, the, the climate's so spectacular, um, and the market is there. So, um, And the other thing is even if new owners come in and mess up established brands, there always is, there always seems to be another generation of visionaries, another generation of entrepreneurs who are fully committed to getting to, uh, to establishing something, building a brand and getting it off the ground. Um, and we see that all the time. I, I think that's one of the great things about the wine industry. There are always people that are willing to come in, invest sweat equity or the money, and, and do the best they can to establish something. And the market tends to embrace them as long as what's in, in the glass is great and the story is compelling. I don't really see that changing. The, but the question of whether a family can come in or families and establish a, 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 a dynasty, uh, a, a pedigree for excellence that, that continues for generation upon generation upon generation, well, we haven't been able to really establish that in, that in California. That's but certainly true. I'm kind of with you. I, I don't think it matters. And I'm, I'm you know, we, I used uh, Frescobaldi earlier. You know, they have 13 generations. They talk about 13 generations in the business. And wouldn't you rather have people? You know, you, we'll get to our fourth generation. The kid goes, oh, man, my last name's Frescobaldi. Do I have to be here? I personally would rather see it in the hands of people who are passionate about it. And I think yes. it's the passionate people that have gotten us where we are today. I mean, certainly look at where you are. Look at what some of these, you, know, you think about some of these upstart, not necessarily brick-and-mortar wineries that are just absolutely outstanding because people had a vision. And I think that has to be our next message as we move into this next generation, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, that um, it's not necessarily matter what your last name is, whether you were brought up with it, but how passionate, how excited, and how good at it are you? 
and a bloodline doesn't guarantee yeah. that. Exactly. Uh, I think you're spot on. And, you know, if anything, you know, the people are coming into this with that passion and that excellence. And if you look at the industry as a whole, collectively, we know a hell of a lot more today about farming vineyards than we did a generation ago. We know a lot more about winemaking. We are we know more about marketing. We know more about the wine industry. We know about more about the wine-consuming public. The public is hipper, uh, and they have sharper palates and higher expectations. All of that, I think, ultimately leads to a continuation, if not an improvement, of, of great wine, uh, hopefully in, in different parts of the world, but certainly in California. So in the long term, I'm optimistic. Um, it's a great story when a family continues to maintain ownership for generation upon a generation, but you're right. Ultimately, all that matters is a, is a wine or a brand is in, under, uh, in the hands of someone who has that passion and commitment. Pete, when you look back, I know we're trying to wrap this up. What do you think the thing is they're going to look back 40 years from now and say, wow, this generation, mine and your generation, they really screwed it up. They really got it wrong. What have we done to damage the industry, and is it fixable? I don't know if I would answer it that way. I think our generation has done a hell of a lot that's very positive. <laughs> so I'm going to turn this on. Its, I'm going to turn this on its head if you don't. That's what, no, that's what I was hoping for. This goes out to all my little <laughs> I mean, friends at the vintage party. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the, at at what this generation has done, this generation has gone a long way in developing a wine culture in the U.S. And in my mind, nothing can be more important than that. I mean, I, I, I just look back to the days when I started, you know, more than 35 years ago. I mean, it was such a different industry. And, and from all the people in the industry, from the grape growers to the winemakers to the wine marketers to the buyers uh, in the trade to the consumers, um, you know, we are in a hell of a lot better place as an industry. Uh, and the wine-consuming public is far better served now, far better served now than it was 35 years ago. So I think our generation, whatever our faults are, and there are certainly some, <laughs> um, we've, we've done, on the whole, a, a great job in, in, in playing a role and making part, wine a part of people's lives. And, you know, my first job working for a winery was with Robert Mondavi. And if you remember Robert Mondavi's line, one of, it, one of the things he constantly said was, I want to make wine a part of everyday life. Uh, and he was the driving force in that, to be sure. No one did it better than, than he did. But on his shoulders, a whole generation of people in the trade took that to task and, and built the industry to where we are today. And I think collectively, we deserve a lot of credit for that. I like it. And that's what I was kind of hoping for out of you. Again, looking back at Robert Mondavi, you look back at the gallows, even taking it so far as the heights and looking at Winorowski and looking at the fine people at BV and the Behringer brothers, they started the trickle. They started the trickle of wine in this country. I think our generation is the one that permanently broke down the dam. And it's going to be fun to see what the next generation does as they plan ahead and how they manage and where that whole river of wine is going to go and where it takes them. Hey, we're going to take the last break on The Crush. When we return, we will wrap up this old-timer show and give you a preview of what we have ahead. Need a wine recommendation for a party? Want Laura to address something on the show? Email her at lauralawson at winecrush.com. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 800-915-9734. 800-915-9734. That's 800-915-9734. The IRS is the most feared agency in the world. You've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over $10,000. Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe. They'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. 
So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-856-1330 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800-856-1330. 800-856-1330. As I went through school, one giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? But in order to know what I wanted to be, I had to first decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more. So I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore. And frustration, a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy and giving up impossible. I make an old subject feel like a fresh thought and unconventional methods common. I make material things less important and little things like patience and kindness count. I make weekdays more exciting than weekends and classrooms feel like anything but. I make things different, which is all I ever hoped for. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Now it's back with more of The Wine Crush with Laura Lawson. This is The Crush. I'm Laura Lawson. That fine, upstanding young man was Pete Perry, general manager of Donna Estates, and truly one of the ones who has seen the gamut and the expansion of this business in the last 40 years. So if nothing else coming out of this show, we can certainly determine this. Even though we're old, we can't smell as well, we aren't going to be able to taste as well, we certainly aren't going to be able to remember what we have tasted, but ultimately for those that come behind us, we paved you a road to the best wines and the best regions in the world. We have showed you the way. We have given you access to them. Now what you do with them is up to you. We literally dropped them at the doorstep. So the next aspect, we've managed to put these into your life. We put them into your lifestyle. The question what you do with it, that's entirely up to you. Now I'm going to try and wrap this up real quick for the bright spot for all of us. It has finally been proven that drinking court wine will not affect you. TCA does not build up in your system. So the good news is we can keep on drinking, not worry about our cork taint. And the very fact there's TCA in it, our body will eventually flood it out. That is my bright spot for my old friends out there. And as always, know that, uh, what was the line from Fried Green Tomatoes? I may be, You may be young and beautiful, but I'm older and I have better insurance. That's the one. As always, on The Crush, reminding you to sip socially, to drink responsibly, to drink what you like, not what you're told, but most importantly, in vino veritas, in wine, there's truth. I'm Laura Lawson, and I'll talk with you next week.